Inc. There was business as usual uh, here in Taipei, for example. Uh, people did not stop what they were doing uh, in response to, to the military exercises. Uh, even in the last couple of days, this is not even the top of the news, uh, whether that's during the day uh, or the, the primetime evening news hours. Uh, you don't hear people talking about it except on the talk shows. Mm. And what and what about Taiwanese businesses? It's been reported that companies like Foxconn, for example, are coming under pressure not to invest in Chinese semiconductor manufacturers and to withdraw their investment there. Is is that going to have an impact? And then there's the also also the story about the product labeling as well, where the government of China is pressuring companies such as Apple to ensure that labels don't say made in Taiwan, they say made in China. I would put that all under the work in progress remains to be seen. Business leaders trying to maneuver these new normals, and that's going to, as you indicated, that that works both ways. So whether it's Taiwan government uh, imposing more regulation on the ability of Taiwan companies to invest in China, or how China views international companies' interactions with Taiwan companies who are doing business in Taiwan, uh, there's going to be a, a significant number of changes there that business leaders need to be aware of. Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning in Australia, the SX200 is up about 1% now. Stocks in Japan are closed for a public holiday. The Cosby in South Korea has moved up about 1.5%. Futures markets are pointing to a gain of about 270 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. And we'll let you know all about that again tomorrow morning on Money Talk at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for back chat after the news with Jim Gould and James Ockenden. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, occasional showers and thunderstorms. Maximum temperatures going to be around 31 degrees. The outlook is for occasional showers in the next couple of days and then sunny intervals early next week. It's 27 degrees right now, 94% relative humidity. And the time's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Health officials say they've stepped up COVID testing for employees at the Hong Kong Children's Hospital. Four workers there were among 4,344 local infections confirmed yesterday. Here's Aaron Tam. A hospital authority chief manager, Gladys Kwan, said the four infections involving staff of the Children's Hospital include two nurses and a ward assistant, along with a doctor who took care of a COVID patient last month. Dr. Kwan said the authority is looking into whether the cases are linked. She added that testing requirements at the hospital had been stepped up and no new infections or close contacts have been identified so far. Nowadays, actually, they are doing the daily PCR to make sure that whether there's any other other confirming cases within this cohort of patient and staff. There were four more deaths involving patients aged between 61 and 87. Officials said 23 patients are in critical condition and 25 are seriously ill. New figures from the U.S. show inflation in the world's largest economy has slipped from its 40-year peak but remains high. Year-on-year inflation fell to 8.5% last month, with prices flat on a month-on-month basis, largely because of falling petrol costs. Recent increases in interest rates have raised fears that a recession is imminent. Brian Marks is a scholar at the University of New Haven, Pompeii College of Business. So right now, I think most people would go ahead and say, we're still in a period of crosswinds. We have a great deal of volatility. This latest number was highly dependent upon, arguably, 
uh, gasoline prices, um, food prices. We've seen some uh, ease in the pressure, upward pressure, that is. It doesn't mean prices haven't been increasing. They have been. The U.S. Excuse me. The U.S. Justice Department has charged a member of Iran's Revolutionary Guards with plotting to murder the former National Security Advisor John Bolton. American officials say Sharam Pursafi offered to pay individuals three hundred thousand U.S. dollars to carry out the killing in Washington. Mr. Bolton, who served in the Trump administration, has thanked the Justice Department and described Iran's rulers as liars. He spoke to Sky News. This is a, a plot by the Iranian government uh, against a former official of the U.S. government. Uh, I can say I can't say a lot of things, but I can say I'm not the only one that the that the uh, Ayatollahs in Tehran are trying to assassinate. So this is the kind of government we have in, in, in Iran. Search and rescue teams from the Greek Navy and Air Force are still trying to find up to 50 people missing after their boat sank in the Aegean Sea off the Greek island of Carpathos. Earlier, the rescuers were able to save 29 men, but no more survivors or bodies have since been found. The news from RTHK. I'm Jim Gould, and your co-host today is James Ockenden. Good morning, James. Good morning, On today's programme, uh, the stamp duty on property purchases is back in the spotlight. Uh, the Financial Secretary has said that there are no plans to relax extra taxes for non-permanent residents buying homes in the Territory. That's after the Executive Council convener, Regina Ip, said it was among policies that could be considered as a way of supporting the local economy and retaining talent. Mrs Zip later clarified that uh, waiving the property duty was an idea of her New People's Party and she would put forward the suggestion to the Chief Executive during his policy address consultations. After 9.15, we'll look at the closure of the 94-year-old Lin Hung Tea House in Central, which has been blamed on the COVID epidemic. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And joining us now on the line, we have uh, Vera Yoon, who's a lecturer at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And also Alan Lung, a co-convener of the Path of Democracy. Um, good morning to you both. Um, perhaps, um, Alan Lung, we can come to you first. Hello. Yeah, good morning. Uh, good morning. So, um, kind of an interesting development uh, this week. Um, Re Regina Yip's interview with uh, Bloomberg, it kind of raises the question as well about the, about the role of Exco and uh, Exco's responsibilities as opposed to uh, political party responsibilities. Uh, Exco, of course, is supposed to operate under uh, conditions of uh, collective responsibility and confidentiality. But it, it, her remarks were interpreted initially, at least by some people, as though this might be a, a policy that, uh, that the government was considering. What, what, was your, what was your reading of the situation? Well, uh, the Executive Council is now advisory, but she's still in a very senior position. And you know, I think it was unfortunate that she has allowed herself a slip in judgment and almost allowed being lobbied by the interests of a property group disguised as uh, a necessity for importing talents from the mainland. I think 
whether the uh, the uh, the responsibility of political parties and think tank, which we are a think tank, powerful democracies, this think tank, this diverge from the you know her, her responsibility as executive council member can be argued because I mean even political parties or the advisor or the Hong Kong SAR government. It ought to be guided by very high-level principles, uh, such as what Lee Kuan Yew said many, many years ago: that uh, education, healthcare, housing, economy, and the economy should grow for the business sector, and not for business operators. What she said is really, at the end of the day, for, for the interests of the property sector. I think she should start thinking about her legacy, what she ought to be doing for Hong Kong. And not, you know, not narrowly focus on policy measures. I've been, yeah, well, I've been, been following uh, Regina on uh, Instagram the last <clears throat> few few weeks. She's been <clears throat> extremely active. She's been out there setting up uh, new People Party offices uh, on the on the islands. Really building a base is is all of that is great to see you know politician getting out there and meeting the people but is that a, a conflict with the exco uh, convener role do you think alan I, I think at the end of the day political parties you know uh, now there's no opposition parties now uh, political parties or think tanks ought to compete in merits uh, on on their own merits and there, there's really, at the end of the day, there's no, 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 no conflict. Political parties, think tanks should work for the interests of Hong Kong and at, the, at a very high level. The problem with Hong Kong is we have been thinking at, you know, operation level. And, you know, even our chief executive, who is probably very strong in administrative capacity, uh, which is only one third of, of the game. And, and there need to be analytical capacity, which he does not have yet. Uh, there's no think tank, and there's no political capacity, which is, which I interpret as convincing the public that you know to follow his or her lead and or political party's lead and so on. Uh, Vera Yoon, good morning to you. Good morning. So, if uh, the uh, extra stamp duties <clears throat> were reduced. Um, um, obviously, that would be good for developers. But what about uh, Regina Epps' point that uh, also it would be good for uh, like overseas by or, or people from the mainland who wanted to settle here? Um, um, do, yeah, do, I mean, does she have a point? I think her suggestion is about to relax that same duty for mainland professionals. Um, and keep them in Hong Kong or to attract them mm. to work in Hong Kong. Mm. And I think um, her whole suggestion is problematic because um, first, the policy goal of these um, buyer stamp duty or the higher stamp duty than if you are a first time home buyer is to address overheating of the property market. And if she says she wants to relax that uh, Duty. So does it mean that uh, there's no overheating of the property market anymore? <coughs> so she doesn't really touch on that part. And then second, currently, there's no discrimination between um, foreigners and mainlanders. There's only discrimination between uh, permanent residents of Hong Kong or non-permanent residents of Hong Kong. 
So now she's suggesting maybe to make a distinction between foreigners and mainlanders. But why would Hong Kong only favor mainlanders but not foreigners if we like if she wants to、um, attract talent? And so, and the third point is important is that、um, if this is to retain or to attract mainlander professionals. They don't have to actually stay in Hong Kong if they can just purchase the property, not paying the stamp duty, and then live somewhere else.、That's、I、right. mean that doesn't、yeah. help any, like to any extent. It would be like a situation before the stamp duties were imposed. So、um, I don't see like her whole point of. I knew like, a number. Indeed, I knew a number of mainland、uh, investors who bought properties here and didn't even rent them out. They were just literally holding on to them. It was、uh, quite crazy, considering the housing situation here.、Um, just go back to what Alan said. He didn't really see a conflict between the、uh, between Regina Ip being the convener of Exco and the New People's Party. But in that interview、uh, for Bloomberg, she was speaking as the Exco convener. That actually moved the market because people it, watching that interview on Bloomberg thought it was a government、uh, policy coming forward. I mean, that, surely that's a, a very dangerous and risky situation. Vera,、um, you you mean?、Um Uh, can you repeat the question? Well, I think you know we need to be clear when someone is speaking for the government, obviously, and when they're speaking for、okay. what they wish. <laughs> okay, I see. Because、yeah. you were like asking a political question, I thought you were not asking me. Okay,、um, I would say if she has a position in the government, and even though she defends that she, I don't know whether she has made it clear to the Bloomberg reporter that、uh, she speaks from the stance of the party and not the government. Uh, usually, there's no such thing called personal opinion for a person who is in that position. So, if her party wants to make any policy suggestions, she should find somebody else in her own party to do so instead of herself. And then,、um, and then I think this could amount to manipulation of the stock market because the uh, property um, stocks they rise and then fall. Because of what she said、yeah. in the morning,、That's、and, and I think that、yeah. could violate some security trading. That's、law. what I, I mean. I mean, she has to be very careful. Yeah, because they're still up. New World is still up two percent on that jump, even though it, you know, it, it spiked and then relaxed. But it's still up two percent on what she said. Because I think investors think, okay, here's a something interesting about to happen. Yeah, and if some, you know, property developers, relatives who are related to them, she know they know that Regina was was gonna to say that in the morning that that could be violating the law. I,、mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, she did say it, it was a measure that the government could consider. And that、uh, she couldn't、uh, commit anything on the part of the chief executive,、uh, uh, didn't she? So, I, I, and later on, she she、uh, she clarified that it was a it was an idea of her party.、Um, Yeah. But our government generally doesn't say anything unless it's actually about to act. I mean, we know this as a journalist. I'm, you know, very adept at reading between the lines. And if 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 the government came out and said anything about stamp duty being relaxed for mainlanders, I would immediately assume that was going to happen.、Um, I mean, Alan, what, what's your view on that? Well, Sanoke rose three dollars or more yesterday,、mm. and then dropped back to <laughs> nothing. And I think the.、Uh, I think this is, as I said at the very, very beginning, this is a slip in judgment, and she shouldn't have said that.、Uh, but the, her, her role as as a government, most senior government advisor, 
and her head as political think tank has no difference if she thought of Hong Kong political you know, long-term strategic interests in mind. That should be aligned and you know, uh, our chief executive John Lee keeps saying that everyone in her government, including the incoming think tank, has to be in line with her thinking. But what is this line of thinking? You know, he, he seems to be narrowly focused on uh, his four groups, uh, uh, sort of special duty groups on uh, poverty, land supply, housing, which is the same, same thing in district affairs. Mm. There's no strategic direction. As, as someone as senior as uh, uh, Mrs. Regina Ip, uh, who's been a government servant, a, people, a servant of the people all her life, ought to focus on the you know, broader picture of what Hong Kong should be moving towards mm. and not let herself, you know, sort of deal with uh, policy measures. I, I should add that we did invite uh, Regina Ip onto the programme uh, uh, this morning, but she wasn't able to make it. Um, uh, she, she said that... Uh, uh, that mainland professionals had been uh, clamouring for the extra stamp duty to be waived uh, before uh, they acquired uh, the right of abode, which obviously uh, means uh, living in Hong Kong for uh, a number of years before you can do that. But... Uh, um, what what did you make of that, Alan Lung? Do you do you, do you think there is uh, do you think there's a lot of demand from uh, mainland professionals working here uh, for that uh, measure to be I, relieved? I, I I actually work for a a uh, startup in Science Park. That that thing has almost closed already. Mm. I know that uh, we have mainland mainland colleagues. I know that uh, the younger ones, almost all of them, have no money to buy properties except. If you come from a very rich family, I think in, in practical terms, it's very difficult to distinguish between uh, a real talent and someone who has money to uh, to park in Hong Kong, and they would drive up the Hong Kong property interests, uh, property prices, which is not right. But I think in the, in the long in the longer term, when the uh, Northern Metropole open up. We could gradually release those uh, relief, uh, release those restrictions. But the property supply is really, really in uh, high, and there's a really glut of property in the new territories and, and so on. Mm. And, I was, Alan, I was just but, looking at the uh, figures from uh, from 2016 and 17. Uh, this is what we're talking about: 15,500 residential properties were purchased under the double stamp duty, and around four million dollars each. Now it's down to about 160, so really just a handful last month. But the average price has gone way up. These are $14 million apartments. So who are these mainland buyers that are splashing out $14 million on a, on a property? And you know, are they not concerned about the common prosperity and how that looks? Well, those people are not you and me. You know, we can't afford <laughs> those properties. <laughs> and there are lots of hot money here trying to park in, in Hong Kong. And we're not going to discuss where those hot money comes from, but mm. it is a fact of life. Uh, China is a really huge country, and uh, and lots of money trying to seek refuge in, uh, in, in safe places. And if you allow that floodgate to open, I mean, there's, 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 it just just destroy the uh, uh, Paul Chan's uh, initiative to try to control property price. Mm.
Uh, Vera Yoon, these stamp, extra stamp duties have been uh, around for about uh, 10 years now. Uh, um, how effective do you think they've been in uh, helping to control to an extent or stabilise the property market? Well, I think they drive away speculators and those who want to profit from, you know, property market, they know that they need to pay the tax if they hold them, like, for less than three years. So I guess it does some job of um, stabilizing the market and addressing overheating of the property market. But uh, I just want to respond to... Um, the estimation just now. I think for um, the two kind of people who could benefit if we leave this stamp duty thing, the first one is what Regina refers to as the mainland professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my understanding, they really rush to buy uh, property once, you know, at the second they got the permanent residentship. Um, but then there are not many of them in Hong Kong. You know, I look at the uh, 2016 census uh, because the 2021 has not been out yet. About 2.8% of these mainland, uh, mainlanders were here in Hong Kong but have not gotten to Red Level. So it's like about 3% of the population. But then already open 5% of them have owned, like, is living in a only occupier property, which means. Um, 2.3% of them could buy earlier, but then if you look at the market, I mean, it, it's going down, and I'm not sure whether they are still as enthusiastic as before. And the second part would be the more worrying, worrying one, that is, um, there could be a lot of money coming from the mainland trying to park the money, as Ellen refers to. Um, but then uh, I don't think that would be as heated as what happened like in 2008 before because there's like greater capital control in China. They don't want money to flow though from China. So it favors people with more connections. And so those people could get their money out, but not the normal people. And then the economy is going down in China. So we could expect there won't be as many um, mainland investor as before, but you know, China, I agree that it's a very huge country, that there are always some rich people even though the economy is going down, so... Um, but they but can buy uh, uh, life insurance now, can't they, um, much more easily, so perhaps that could be an alternative destination than the, than the property market. Do you think that's uh, something we can see? It's very easy for mainland to now uh, park money, even hot money, it has to be said, into uh, insurance. I think there's stricter regulation. Like before some regulation were imposed, it's like they really bought like millions uh, yeah. of insurance. But 10, then there's more regulation to cost. stop them from moving money to Hong Kong because they don't want the capital outflowed. In, in well, well, parking money in insurance policy is fine, but we really don't want a situation as in uh, Shanghainese says, Shanghainese cannot afford to live in Shanghai anymore. And this is this is Shanghai, and Shanghainese is saying that we don't want a, a situation in Hong Kong where Hong Kong people cannot afford to live in Hong Kong because of the property price. And this is a real issue, a real core issue. And two of two of four uh, of, of uh, CE's initiative is related to land supply and housing. And nothing should should be allowed to uh, sort of uh, shake that. Take that in initi- initiative.
Yeah. Can we just go back to the uh, the task force you mentioned, Alan, earlier? The four the four areas the government's concentrating on, and one is district affairs. I've been in touch with the district affairs task force, and to be honest, it's exactly the same. It's business as usual. They just it's like eighteen twenty three. They'll just pass issues between the relevant departments back and forward. So nothing has really changed. I want to get a handle on decision making under John Lee's government. And, for example, we saw uh, him stepping in personally with the highways department to give a refund to the guy that paid for the flags to go on the lamppost. It, it's, it's a very different style, it seems, from, from Carrie Lamb's leadership. But where do you think the common person has a, a, an input into that, into that decision-making and policy-making? Uh, well, well it's, very, no, it, it's not just uh, the currency, the average person... Uh, on the street, or even think tank, uh, who are who knows how the government system work, uh, has been very difficult. Found found it very difficult to uh, input ideas into the government because, you know, partly of the uh, very close AO system, and nothing invented by the government is, could be a good thing. Mm. And, and and even the biggest think tank in Hong Kong, uh, think tank that spent 160 million dollar a year annual budget. Doesn't seem to be endorsed by the current CEO or the last CEO as his think tank. So where is Hong Kong's think tank uh, compared to Singapore? Where I was told that I I, I was I, I thought that the EDB Economic Development Board of Singapore has 600 staff, you know, thinkers, senior economic planners, and I was told that no 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 it has been changed now. We have now more people. And where is our people? Where is our people thinking about broader economic policy, uh, economic strategy, and so on? That, that, those are the things that Virginia uh, ought, ought to be thinking of. A broader question of Hong Kong's uh, economic policy, uh, the political consensus uh, uh, Hong Kong should be building, uh, Hong Kong's role in China, or even Hong Kong's track to diplomacy role in Hong Kong, which. You know, honestly, Regina Eve is very good at debating, you know, people like to hard talk and so on. But she is not focusing on those directions and, and, and suddenly slip back to uh, policy measures, which she, she should not be doing. I mean, there is a, there's always for think tanks or political parties or even within the government uh, 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 a resource issue, you know, is whether talent resource or money resources. I mean, the, the the think tank in Hong Kong is so weak. She ought to be leading the think tanks uh, in, uh, in 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 uh, influencing the government to do the right thing for Hong Kong. Yeah, and you think uh, relaxing the stamp duty is not the right thing for Hong Kong? Well, it's it's <laughs> it's not part of the team's effort, and yeah. I mean, it's very clear that that Hong Kong wants to clamp down on property price, really partly because not partly. Uh, a large extent, particularly in the uh, higher, uh, higher property price sector now, uh, hot money from China. Um, obviously, the government wants to maintain a stable property market. So, uh, Vera Yoon, would you expect that uh, you know, uh, the financial secretary, uh, the chief executive uh, and so on would want to uh, hold on uh, to these uh, extra uh, stamp duties as a tool to use in case there was, say, a sudden decline in property prices as a way of, uh, of uh, you know, um, 
you know, if the stamp duties were relaxed somewhat, it would, um, you know, be likely to hold up the market somewhat? Uh, well, I think for the government, they are like, when they announce certain policy, they will let it be for a longer time than it is usually because there's a time lag. And then they mm. also want it to be predictable because if the government changes policy, like, every day, every month, then it would be very hard to uh, for the market to uh, adapt to. Mm. Um, and also, it's like, we hold on to the COVID policy for longer than we should, and then they're still holding on. So it's like, you can expect how they would um, moderately take this policy onward. It's like, um, I, I think the housing price is still too high. It's like, we, we can have another 30% or even 50% slash if we want everybody to own their home. Um, and a 50 percent reduction. Then wow. what? You said uh, we, we, you know, a 50 percent reduction that would yeah, enable more yeah. people to buy the home. But, but 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 what about all the homeowners who who currently? Yeah, uh, exactly. you know, It's their major investment. Exactly. So the government doesn't want it drops abruptly. It wants it to adjust slowly and moderately. Mm. So, but then if it drops abruptly, uh, these you know same duties, BSD, SSD, they could be lifted at once. But if we do not see an abrupt drop, if it is adjusting slowly, then you know the government has no um, pressure or urge to lift these same duties. Okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, we've got to take a break uh, for the news summary. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes uh, past nine. Um, Vera Yoon, I think, is going to be uh, still with us after the news. Thanks very much to Alan Lung, co-convener of Path of Democracy, for joining us in this part of the programme. Um, if you want to get in touch, uh, our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk. You can give us a call on 233 266. The weather uh, is going to be mainly cloudy, showers and thunderstorms. Uh, the outlook, uh, occasional showers in the next couple of days, but sunny intervals early next week. It's currently 28 degrees, humidity 92%. Year-on-year -year inflation fell to 8.5% in the U.S. at last month with prices flat on a month-on-month -month basis, largely because of falling petrol costs. Recent increases in interest rates have raised fears that a recession is imminent. Brian Marks is a scholar at the University of New Haven, Pompeii School of Business. So right now, I think most people would go ahead and say we're still in a period of crosswinds. We have a great deal of volatility. This latest number was highly dependent upon arguably uh, gasoline prices, um, food prices. We've seen some uh, ease in the pressure, upward pressure that is. It doesn't mean prices haven't been increasing. They have been. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with uh, James Ockenden and me, Jim Gould. And uh, on this morning's programme, in our main topic, we're talking about uh, the extra stamp duties on property purchases, which uh, have been in place uh, for a number of years now, um, uh, which uh, uh, came up again um, this week. And we are joined uh, on the line by uh, Hannah Jung, who's Head of Valuation and Advisory Services uh, with Colliers. Good morning to you. Good morning. 
Hannah Jung, thanks for joining us. And still with us is, is Vera Yoon from uh, University of Hong Kong. Um, Hannah Jung, um, yeah, so these, uh, the extra stamp duties, they've been around for, for quite a long time. Uh, they were introduced to uh, control the uh, overheating property market. Um, how, how much of a, of a success do you think that they've been in that respect over the years? I believe the additional stamp duties have been quite effective to minimize the speculative investment for housing market over the decade. Like at this moment, non-local uh, buyers, they are subject to a total of 30% stamp duty, right? Yes. First one is a 15% buyer's stamp duty. Second is a, another 15% of a double stamp duty, uh, which implemented in 2012 and 13. If we look back at that moment, compared to 2011 and 2013, actually the transaction amount dropped by 31% at that uh, over two years before and after, and then the volume dropped by 41%. Uh, but my question is why only mainland Chinese buyers? It is effective, but if Hong Kong wants to maintain the international financial hub status, I think the removal of a non-permanent residence and duty should be applicable for all tax players, including mainland Chinese as well as the international aspect. Do you think it'd be possible, uh, you know, legally to uh, distinguish the mainland buyers and, and, and other international buyers without really upsetting the market? Mm. I, I believe so, yes. Mm. Because I think there, there will be different passport holding, but I think like having affordable home ownership in Hong Kong, Hong Kong will be able to attract more talent from overseas, not only from China, but also mainland in China, but also over, uh, other international cities. But I think to minimize the speculative trading in Hong Kong, government can consider waiving these same duties if uh, uh, tax players live in Hong Kong at least one to two years, very similar to other peer markets. Okay, uh, I've got a couple of emails here from uh, listeners, which I'd just like to read out quickly and then uh, get a reaction from uh, both of our guests. Uh, uh, this first one from David says, uh, this new talent coming in from China will probably be on a higher salary than local people. Therefore, they can still get a good mortgage and buy property at the bottom end of the market, forcing the price up and local people out. Also, with more mainland people coming in, rental property prices will go higher. This does not help uh, local people and uh, can only cause inflation. Um, John writes, uh, on the broader subject of property taxes, it probably makes sense for the government to relax some of the measures it introduced a few years ago to cool down the residential sector. First, the market is soft, as illustrated by recent declines in the centerline index. Secondly, interest rates are clearly rising while the economy is weak. These factors will only put more pressure on the property market. Thirdly, given the collapse in tourism-related revenues, the Hong Kong economy has become even more reliant on property revenues to shore up its reserves, which, due to the ongoing attempts to defend the Hong Kong dollar peg, have fallen sharply. That from John. Um, so, uh, Hannah Jung, um, th there is uh, a lot of people are talking about um, forthcoming uh, headwinds for the property sector. Uh, clearly, mortgage rates are going to rise uh, in line with uh, uh, interest rates and so on. Um, what, what do you, what's your sort of um, outlook for the local residential sector? I think if we look, look at 2022 first half, the transaction volume actually dropped by 36% year-on-year year compared to 2021 first half. 
So it's surely showing we are going through the downtime of the residential market. Surprisingly, COVID wasn't really impacting residential market significantly or as expected compared to retail market or office market. So I think the the desire of home buyers are there and liquidity is there as well. So, But I think a lot of home buyers at, at this moment, they are taking shelter in leasing market, waiting for the market to stabilize at least we will know where where prime rates will go up in Hong Kong or not. And then, therefore, I think we have seen rent, more active rental transactions in the market if we compare last month to this month, about 23% increment in terms of the volume. But, of course, the rental rate is still a downward trend, about minus 2%. So not much really, but when uh, our listener said the market is soft, we're still seeing oversubscription on new apartments. I think there was a story at the weekend where uh, one apartment block was 300% oversubscribed. So yeah. clearly there's still some ambition out there. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. What's, yeah. So is it, what's the difference between the second-hand property market and the new property market? Are we still seeing people wanting to go into new property? I think new property market, there are incentives from developers to make it more affordable. You you don't pay at once. You can uh, spread over before the completion, etc. So there's some incentive from the developer. Mm. But surely that oversubscription was happening because of a recent aggressive price cut from the developer. And it's uh, like when we talk about Sonongai, Noble Land, or Intuman, or Henderson's funding development, they, they well sell nearly 100% sold, but their price is actually 10 to 20% lower than nearby secondary market. So it shows the desire from the market. They want to go, they want the end users, they want to buy it, uh, but that, that has to come up with the price level. Yeah, sure. What did you think about the, I just uh, put some figures out earlier, that the average price of a, a property bought under the double stamp duty uh, scheme, people are still buying them, uh, was about $14 million. I mean, how does that compare to sort of average price of residential property that you're, you're selling? I think uh, the, the, the price level has been dropped. Uh, if we just compare immediate effect. At that moment, like 2011 versus 2013, that was like 41, uh, sorry, 31% drop. So I think that shows a big change. But over the year, over the decade, the price gone up quite significantly. So now is uh, we under the COVID, we still see the price level is as high as 2018. So I think that's the fundamental issue. I think. The, the difficulty at this moment, the, the mainland Chinese buyer is accountable around 10% of the home transactions in 2021. So that amount of people are, or buyers are not the too significant amount. But whether we increase that portion uh, higher, I think that's not the right way to go. Mm, yeah. um, Vera Yoon, so we're looking at rising interest rates, uh, a relatively weak economy. What, what are your thoughts about uh, prospects for the property sector? Well, I guess it is not going to go up a lot. And um, it, it would be like just like these few years, the best would be it, it, it is leveling. I'm not sure whether it will go down, but that interest rate has really matters and then um i think what hannah just said about uh, the price cut in the um, primary market mm. uh would affect the secondary property market because we already see reduction in prices 
So uh, I guess the uh, property developers, they could actually lead the market in terms of how they price the um, new flats. Are they holding on to stock? I remember, you know, Hang Lung, for example, would build, uh, you know, a great big tower and then hold on to it for years, like an empty building full of luxury apartments, simply to, to wait for the right moment. Are, are developers, I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore, are they? But is there still some delay? Uh, they are allowed, uh, still allow, And then because in, in Carrie Lam's era, that um, vacancy tax uh, was not passed, so they mm. don't need to paid a huge course for holding on to property. But overall, in the past, I do not see um, many of them holding on to a lot of apartment. It's like one or two developers who did that and, and just a little bit of the stock. But usually, they um, would sell them in phrases. So, um, and if a luxury apartment, the problem of this is um, to match a buyer, it's harder because they're luxury. And then, um, you know, the preferences uh, are not like uh, the small or medium-sized apartment. Mm -hmm. So for luxury flats, the vacancy is usually higher because of the matching problem. Yeah. What are we talking about, uh, Hannah, in terms of luxury flat? Are we, I mean, it's $14 million, I would guess, is fairly luxury. Or are we talking luxury is more like $140 million? And, and what, what's the cheapest apartment that Collier's got, got going on at the moment? Luxury apartment or housing, our pool is of over 16 million, um, uh, the lump sum. So it, it, I remember 15 years ago when I started a career in Hong Kong, that was category of 30 million. Now it lifts up to the 16 million. 60, right. <laughs> yeah. what's, so what about the cheapest? What's the cheapest apartment you could buy in Hong Kong right now? I think you, if you buy really shoebox size, like below 300 square feet, you're really able to find the three to four million. So that's yes. four million is kind of the floor. That's still a lot of money, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. Mm. Okay, but the, so the, the sort of the Greater Bay Area professionals that are buying, so I, I think they're coming in way above that, even that, that four million level, aren't they? What, what's the sort of, how much uh, cash has your sort of average Greater Bay Area client got in his pocket or on his wrist? I think when people look at the, the, the apartment, they will look at how much the, the leverage they can get it from the bank. So always below 10 million is the most popular um, target for Hong Kong. But the, if we compare with the Shenzhen, the Shenzhen average pricing is 6 million. So it's not far, but their size is a critical double of our size. Yeah, or sure. even triple, right? So that, that's uh, where the, uh, whether it's uh, liable in, in, the, in the environment. I and think that's the concern at the moment. How are they financing it, the, the mainland buyers? Are they getting mortgages in Hong Kong or, or in China? Yes, yes. A lot of the bank, they offer GBA loans. So mm. either Hong Kong people buying GBA or GBA mainland Chinese buying Hong Kong, they, they, the, the bank will facilitate those. So there's a special desk for GBA. Yeah. As we know, the uh, mainland property market is having some uh, well-documented problems uh, at the moment. Uh, is that likely to make uh, Hong Kong seem more attractive to mainland buyers? I think still people have a preference to buy where they know well. So like even in Hong Kong, we are allowed to buy in Shenzhen one house. Uh, but still, when we interview a number of investors, they prefer to invest in Hong Kong or buy in Hong Kong. I think that preference preference will continue uh, but 
Yes, I think we, we, we are looking at the housing supply or housing issues greater than Hong Kong. So I think government tried to facilitate how we can leverage those bigger units nearby Hong Kong, which is Shenzhen, Zhuhai, etc., to, to utilize those spaces together. But I think that's more on the long term. Okay. I'm also seeing a lot of adverts for uh, for property in, say, UK. I get those in my inbox all the time, advertising, you know, like Hull in the UK is the centre of the hub of innovation and technology, which is always, you know, quite amusing to see these adverts. And if you know that, if you know the cities. Um, so is that something that Hong Kongers are, are, are doing at the moment? Or are they just fishing? Uh, I think it's, it's again, there's um quite niche market. Not everyone is looking at it yet, but there is a demand for people looking at some sort of a retirement planning or uh, a long-term investment, so they're buying it. But at this moment, that demand has been quite soft because of the the interest rate high globally and also fluctuation of the policy. So there are different uh, variables people are considering. So I can say that over outbound demand is a little bit softer compared to a decade ago. Right. Actually, 10 years ago was much, much popular. Even with all of the sort of the BNO, uh, the, the people emigrating, for example, to, to UK, you're not seeing that group purchasing mm. much? No, not much. Right. And I, we will be, you will be very surprised. We are receiving a lot of the tax uh, valuation report requirement. When you immigrate, you need to get the tax report done mm. if you own an asset in Hong Kong. And that inquiry has been almost double compared to 2019. And why is that? Because people are outflowing, they're immigrating, but at the same time, they're not selling at this moment because mm. it's, it's, a, it's more long-term and they can get a rental income or at this moment, market is soft, so they don't want to exit the Hong Kong market yet. Okay, thanks very much for speaking to us on the show this morning. That was uh, Hannah Jung, Head of Valuation and Advisory Services at Colliers. And thanks very much to Vera Yoon, lecturer in the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, before nine o'clock, we also heard from uh, Alan Leung, a co-convener of the Path of Democracy. Um, And for the uh, final part of the programme this morning, we're going to turn our attention to another uh, issue, and that is the closure of the uh, 94-year-old Lin Hung Tea House uh, in Central. And we have uh, with us uh, on the line Samuel Lai, who researches into the uh, Cha Chan Teng culture and is also an anthropologist who specialises in Hong Kong food culture. Um, Just before we uh, go to uh, Samuel Lai, um, I should let you know that um, I do have uh, an email or two to uh, read out on other topics, but we'll save those uh, for a few minutes until the end of the programme because um, Samuel Lai is with us now. Uh, Good morning to you. Good morning. Morning, Samuel. So uh, the the closure of this uh, very old uh, 94-year-old Lin Heung Tea House uh, in Central and uh, a sister establishment uh, in Toon Mun has caused uh, quite a lot of consternation among uh, regular customers. uh, And it's really... it's kind of rather sad, isn't it? I mean, these are sort of, you know, very old parts of uh, Hong Kong which are disappearing. Yeah, exactly. I guess, like, uh, we have to understand that for tea houses in Hong Kong, like individual old tea houses that is founded in the pre-war period, there were originally only two left. One is Lin uh, and the other one is actually Lok also in Central. But then but the closure right. of the Nun tea house is uh, well, we only have one left. So it's actually quite a disaster scenario. Just like 
think about it, uh, these sort of three houses, uh, which are individual in nature, and at the same time it represents some sort of like a rather old uh, young child kind of culture where people would be served with a mug who uh, pour into the mug and then you pour into your own cup. So it's actually symbolizing a rather old way of young child culture while it is now constituted with the more sort of like chain kind of uh, restaurants where you have young child with the new form of way. Yes, uh, this was the the, the Lin Hong Tea House. Uh, Originally, it was the Guangzhou Cake Shop, wasn't it, uh, which in, opened in 1918. It was one of the few remaining uh, restaurants which kept up the tradition of letting people choose their dim sum from a trolley, uh, like, say, yep. rather than ordering it in advance. Uh, I mean, yeah. th th there was a time when that was very common, wasn't it? You, you go into a yeah, dim sum restaurant and... Like, uh, uh, yeah. well, the other thing, how one of the defining factors that they also uh, sell cakes, like the Chinese kind of cakes, uh, Samuel Lai, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it's not a very good... Uh, we don't have a very good uh, phone connection. Um, I'm wondering if uh, perhaps you could uh, change location or, or if we could, uh, we could call you back, try again, see if we can get a better connection. Um, let's try doing that. I'm just, uh, um, I think our producer is aware of it in the control room. Yeah, we're going to try and reconnect with you to try and get a better line. But just uh, in the meantime, um, let me read this uh, Email. This is from a uh, regular listener and correspondent, uh, Alonzo, talking about uh, um, a topic that we were discussing uh, yesterday about the, uh, well, related to the quarantine relaxation. And uh, Alonzo is writing about to Cathay Pacific. He says, uh, uh, CEO Patrick Healy is extensively quoted in RTHK's hourly news bulletin this morning. He's absolutely correct in one, urging the government to offer a clear roadmap to lift all COVID restrictions. And two, saying that Hong Kong has fallen far behind other international aviation hubs. However, he should also take a close look at how far his own airline has fallen behind regional competitors like Singapore Airlines, Emirates, Qatar and Etihad. I tried to contact the airline yesterday to inquire about my Asia Miles account. I was kept on hold for two hours before giving up. I eventually made my booking to Bangkok with Thai Airways. My experience was not uncommon. A friend was recently kept on hold for four hours. Uh, that uh, from Alonso. Thank you. And I think, uh, I think we have... Our guest uh, back on the line? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, we don't just, have him yet. Just, uh, OK, OK, well, hopefully we will uh, shortly. Have you been to so, this uh, Henlong uh, restaurant there? Um, um, I haven't, James, uh, I, personally. Um, I walk past it every day. Mm -hmm. uh, OK, I've got to say, it's actually a very mm. tricky location because mm. it's very hard to walk down Wellington Street or Aberdeen Street and it's not very approachable. I wonder, in fact, I was going to ask Samuel if perhaps the location of uh, this place has perhaps done it in because it's not not a very friendly zone for people to get around. What do you think about okay. that, uh, Samuel? I guess, like, uh, it, it is really depending on how we have changed our kind of, like, uh, location idea in the recent years because a lot of times nowadays we are very much relying on the 
MTR and thus when you actually have to get to the Wellington Street you have to walk like a, a little bit up the hill but then that particular area used to be quite a vibrant kind of zone where a lot of businesses have been operating so then I guess it's also due to the sort of like urban redevelopment or urban sort of like reconfiguration where we have a new founded idea about what it means by convenience so nowadays everything that is closer to the MTR would be convenient. But I do believe that the Wellington Street kind of branch is actually still in a very prime location. And indeed, it somehow suits its historicity because um, it is up there and then it can show that it used to link very well with the community of uh, different kind of businesses. For example, like uh, tea shop selling places or like other shops. Yeah, Samuel, I was listening to your show. Uh, you, you did Noreen's show, 123, last year, uh, talking about the history of these Cha Cha Chengs. Uh, really fascinating. And you were talking about the, the Cha Cha Chengs and the Bing Suts and the ice rooms. And there's sort of all these different types of uh, Hong Kong restaurant. Could you just very quickly give us a rundown on where does the Cha Cha Cheng sit in that sort of uh, relationship of Hong Kong eateries? Uh, I guess like uh, the Cha Tan Tang even till now is a rather kind of a grassroots establishment where people would like to spend a relatively small amount of money but then to get a very filling kind of uh, meal because a lot of the meal that you can find in the Cha Tan Tang is actually somehow rather fatty and uh, rather oily. Mm. But then uh, comparing to like the tea houses or like a more sort of like a Western restaurant, uh, it somehow is in some sort of like a liminal stage where it is not Chinese and yet it is not foreign. So it somehow has a rise in status in terms of like how we can affirm that there's this sort of like a Hong Kong cuisine that is very much about Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a message here from uh, uh, Richard on our Facebook says uh, uh, the tea house didn't close because of COVID. It closed because of the ridiculous COVID restrictions that were imposed by the government on restaurants that uh, continue to this day. Um, obviously, um, during the COVID period. I mean, there have been a, uh, a number of restrictions on the operation of uh, restaurants, bars and so on. I mean, uh, uh, are you uh, concerned, Samuel Lai, that, uh, that other uh, similar places uh, or, or you know, other places which we would like to see preserved uh, may not be able to continue in the future? Um, I, I guess I'm still very concerned because a lot of these sort of like old individual small scale restaurants, they are hit rather hard by the COVID-19 scenario, not just the pandemic itself, but of course the restrictions. No matter is about the uh, idea about the limitation on the number of uh, people in one table or is actually about uh, the, the requirement to actually uh, have a vaccination. But then um, I guess it's also due to a cultural shift in the recent years where people are not exactly as um, okay about uh, dining out as they were. A lot of people actually have some sort of a cultural change and habit change where they would actually rather uh, order takeaway or order food panda, that sort of thing, to have it in their own office or their own house instead of dining out. So which actually have a very hard hit on these rather traditional or old businesses when they were not uh, that online or that linked to these sort of like uh, uh, take away kind of channel which actually benefited more the chained and more new newly founded restaurants in the city. I would do, I used to do food delivery and I would do quite a few dim sum deliveries and uh, they were my favourites because they're very quick and very easy and they're very humble as well and very cheap, um, which I found if you go to the sort of newer Cha Cha Chengs, which is sort of the trendy ones and they're trying to emulate that sort of vibe, they're very expensive. I mean, can you still be called a Cha Cha Cheng if you're you're expensive, do you think? Uh, I guess uh, it is expensive, more expensive than they meant to be, but then they are still relatively cheap. So I guess when we understand it, I, I would use the word relatively because 
comparatively, they are still rather cheap. And so uh, I can't exactly say that cheap must be a defining factor of mm. what it means by Tao Tan Peng. But it should but be then, accessible uh, to everyone, I do believe everyone, that right? they are still somehow something that is more reasonable to the uh, general public, which uh, everyone can afford to actually have a meal there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, as I understand it, the uh, the Welly Street branch of, of Lin Hung was actually closed already in 2019, and there was some sort of employee takeover, and then the original family came back in. So it's perhaps not as simple as just blaming COVID. What was the history there? Was there some, was there some uh, issues with the, with the history? Uh, I guess like uh, this is actually quite a, uh, it's almost a hundred year establishment. Mm. So originally it's actually run by the uh, Ye An family. So it should be some sort of like a, a original worker from the Guangzhou headquarter uh, back in the 1920s. So then the uh, An family has been running it all the way till the uh, 2019 when they decided to let it go. But then the employees would really like to take it up. So then they took it up. But then then they uh, witnessed the uh, social unrest as well as the um, sort of like um, a COVID-19 situation. So then they somehow find it very hard to actually uh, continue it. And then eventually the An family returns. But then, of course, uh, experiencing these sort of like change of ownership, there must be something that is more difficult to continue uh, than how they have been operating uh, in the past decades. So... I do believe that a constant change of ownership will actually harm the uh, restaurant and actually do it a lot of good. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the program. Uh, that was uh, Samuel Lai, uh, who does uh, research into uh, the Cha Chanteng uh, culture and is also an anthropologist who specialises in uh, local uh, Hong Kong food culture. Samuel Lai, thank you. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Um, thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, and thanks very much to you, James, again. Thanks a lot, Jim. OK, a quick look at the weather. Uh, it's more stable uh, today, uh, mainly cloudy with occasional showers and thunderstorms. Uh, top temperature around 31 degrees, moderate to fresh southeasterly winds. The outlook, occasional showers in the next couple of days. Sunny intervals uh, early next week. Currently, the temperature is at 28 degrees and the humidity is 89%. The government has set up an emergency alert system to send instant messages on extreme weather, serious public safety and health incidents, and more to mobile phone users so that the public can adopt contingency measures quickly. You may need to update your mobile phone settings to receive these emergency messages. For inquiries, please contact your mobile operator. Stay alert and